Awkward intro. What are we doing here? Uh, Well, I'm ashamed that I'm about to steal this awkward intro from another podcast because I heard this brought up elsewhere. Okay, well, Um, the best artists steal. Did you hear about the Haunted Mansion premiere? I did not. Okay, so because because SAG after is on strike, Mm -hmm. uh, solidarity, Mm-hmm. Uh, the members of SAG After aren't allowed to be out promoting new releases, including the cast of Disney's Haunted Mansion. Okay. Uh, which I may or may not have already seen and may or may not already have opinions on. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, they didn't hold like a big premiere out in like Hollywood or New York, anywhere like that. Instead, they uh, they held the premiere at Disneyland, okay. and because it because the actors of the film could not attend the premiere, Bob Iger decided that it was a brilliant idea to instead have Disneyland Park uh, employees, employees, cast members, as you uh, will, who aren't SAG-AFTRA, uh, dress in costume and show up. As characters Disneyland. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's kind of incredible mm. in the worst way. Mm. Okay. Um yeah, they're all dressed up and having a great time, I guess. <laughs> Interesting. I like so, Mickey and Minnie Mouse. Mm. Oh god. So these they had the premiere at Disneyland, you said? Yeah, at Disneyland. Okay. Wow. Yep. So I thought this was just wonderfully tacky. It it is. I mean, not to like say oh good job Bob Iger or whatever, but uh, I mean, I guess it's the a, a decent idea if there's no alternative. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you're going to if if you can't promote your movie properly, then I mm. guess you got to get creative and I'm I'm not going to give any Pats on the back for Bob Iger. Right. Or uh, as the podcast that I was listening to kept referring to him as Bobby Gare. (laughs) Yeah. Bony Bear. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Terrific. Yeah. Mm, I'm I'm visualizing. Is there a video of this? I imagine there probably is. Uh, Or pictures. Yeah, there are like TikToks and stuff and lots of pictures. and Yeah. Coming out to the haunted mansion. I mean, for a bunch of young adults who probably never get to do anything like this, this is probably the fucking time of their life. And yeah, I I hope they had a good time. I really do. I hope, I hope like this one thing says that one of these, there's a 17 year old Walt Disney world cast member who said he had a great time. And I'm like, you know, if I'm 17 and Bobby Gare is like, Hey, (laughs) I need to stop doing that. Uh, just stealing someone else's joke now. Um, it's like, hey, let's uh, come on out to this premiere. Let's let's have a good time. I might. Yeah. Sounds great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a weird time. I hope, uh, you know, by the time we do another episode or something, there's some sort of resolution happening because, you know, things like that are are 
cute and nice, but you don't want them to become the norm somehow. And you know, see these all these headlines about AI uh, creators getting big paydays while writers and actors are on strike. It's like, what the hell are we doing? What are we right. doing? Right. Hmm. It's it, it's wild. Like, uh, it was Netflix just sunk like thirty million into the the fucking Masters of the Universe movie and then just canceled. Like, oh, so you just had $30 million to throw around on a movie you're not going to make, but you can't fucking pay writers. Right, and you can't allow, you know, password sharing and shit like this. is just all... So fucking dumb. Uh, disappointing. Mm. Yeah, well, everybody go uh, check out Shark Dress Men. There's lots of good stuff over there. Oh, yeah, and... Uh... Well, it'll probably be done by the time this episode comes out, but I, I've been enjoying watching Joe and my, quote-unquote, my trip to uh, New York. Yes. <laughs> All right, well, well uh, you want to talk, talk about, about a movie? movie? <laughs> Let's. you beautiful people out there in podcast land my name is paul work and i'm zach mccoy and we are down a jonathan pierce but we are still your oscar grouches and mm. welcome back to the oscar you podcast sure we discuss oscar winners throughout history and try to determine where the academy went wrong if they went wrong what film are we watching this week zach this week we're watching the seventh veil which is a story of a young concert pianist and her domineering guardian and the mental anguish she has suffered during her intense training Right, and this is your, our, either of our first time watching The Seventh Fail. Yes, for me. Yes, for me. So, we are Oscar Firsties tonight. All right. Tonight, tonight. <laughs> uh, so, I guess we'll get into an Oscar breakdown. Best original screenplay, The Seventh Veil. Wins giving Muriel and Sydney Box Muriel Academy Awards. Uh, it beats out The Blue Dahlia, written by Raymond Chandler, mm-hmm. uh, Children of Paradise by Jacques Privé, uh, Notorious by Ben Hecht, and Road to Utopia, written by Norman Panama and Melvin Frank. Is that from that series that you watched? Yes. The road? Okay, <laughs> the Road to series. Gotcha. You know, road, road, road to, to Morocco. Race. Yeah, road, road to Morocco, road to racism, road to utopia, road to perdition. Oh, <laughs> wait, no, I think that's something else. The road is that like the road by Cormac McCarthy. Uh, and uh, that's it. It is a hundred percenter, one nomination, one win. Okay. Uh, so congratulations, Muriel and Sydney Box. I guess. <laughs> I, I long for longer Oscar breakdowns. They just keep being yeah. the shortest. Mm-hmm. But um, I guess let's talk about this movie. This movie, not to be confused with the Adult Entertainment Club on Sunset Boulevard in L.A., which 
kept coming up whenever I tried to Google this movie. <laughs> <laughs> Just so you know. I know now. Yeah. So, this film, I've got three nice things to say about it. Um, okay. Pretty good uh, production design. There was nice piano music. And James Mason is always entertaining. Um, otherwise, I just really couldn't get into this film. And then I was really put off by the ending. So that's where I'm at right now. Okay. How about you? Well, I liked this film. Okay. I was just kind of into it. I, I kept having to step away from it for a multitude of reasons. I, I, I didn't really get to sit down and watch this movie the way I wanted to. But each time I came back to it, I was like, I, I really hope I get to finish this right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I I like this film. I thought the performances were stellar. I thought mm-hmm. it was gorgeous looking. Um, I pretty much have one big problem with this film, and I will discuss that as we go on. Okay. Because it is a big thing that stuck in my craw, and I wasn't sure how to reconcile it. So I thought maybe us talking about it might smooth it over or make it worse. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I think um, Ann Todd playing Francesca, she was really, really, really good. I Yeah, she's phenomenal. I'm kind of upset she's not in the best actress category here. Yeah. Um I mean, that's a really good lineup. Oh, who's in there? Uh, it's Olivia de Havilland who wins for mm. To Each His Own, which is oh. not a performance I've seen, so I'm, I can mm. only say so much about that. But uh, Celia Johnson for Brief Encounters in here, and that's a good performance. Oh, my God, yes. I love Brief Encounters. Uh, Jennifer Jones for Duel of the Sun is in here, and I haven't seen that film, but I love Jennifer Jones. Uh, Rosalind Russell is in the category for Sister Kenny, and Rosalind Russell is an American treasure. And Jane Wyman's in for the yearling, and that is a really good performance. Mm. So it's it's a crowded it's a crowded category, but I think Aunt Todd could have easily been slotted in somewhere in there. Mm. Okay. Well, yeah, I don't know necessarily what uh, what wasn't grabbing me. I it, it wasn't a unpleasant watch or anything for me. I, I I could sit and kind of let the film happen and listen to the. A lot of the piano performances, and I think the uh, hypnosis um, framing of the story is also interesting. And um, but yeah, my my problem comes with the way you know. Obviously, we're a spoiler podcast, and not yeah. This is an old film. Um, the whole um, choosing Nicholas. Uh, the film doesn't necessarily, I feel like it celebrates it too much. Like there's happy music and then it cuts right to credits. So it's not like if, if it had been like a downbeat, like like she runs off to Nicholas with like a, a negative chord or something. You, you immediately went right to the thing that bothers me about this movie. Yeah. <laughs> like didn't even waste time. You went right to it. Yeah. It, there's so much like the film treats him like a piece of shit yeah and like an, like an abusive monster mm-hmm. the entire film you're like this guy kind of sucks 
Right. There's no point where you're like, I'm on this guy's side. Right. And then at the end of the movie, she picks him over, over uh, two guys who clearly have feelings for her. One who had to move on because she broke his heart so badly. And Mm -hmm. one who I, I, yeah, it's not that, it's not even so much that she should have picked one of the other guys because that that's not what it's about. Yeah, no, ab- absolutely not. But the fact that it's set up yeah. that she's going to mm-hmm. essentially, and she chose the worst option. Right. Yeah, you're right. I like. I, I I agree with you. If there was something in the filmmaking that was like this was a bad decision, but he's. He's essentially been there for her her entire life, and she is kind of codependent on him. Right. But if there's something in the filmmaking that said that, I I absolutely would have been like, that's a really interesting ending. Yeah. But the filmmaking's like, oh, she picked him. How sweet. <laughs> yeah, like like t- twenty minutes earlier in the film, you know, when she's getting ready to leave, she's like, I'm grateful for many things, but there's other things I'll never forgive you for. <laughs> She's right. saying this of perfectly clear mind before anything has happened. And then right almost like 10 minutes before this, she's sitting down at the piano and starting to play this song. And she recounts the, the time that we see in the movie where he tries to wrap her knuckles with a cane because he's like, if you're not going to play for me, you can't play for anybody. Right. (laughs) No. And he slapped her in the face earlier in the movie and physically or mentally, uh, verbally abused her to the point that she was afraid to try to go anywhere else. So I don't know what, I don't know what the message is here. Um, there's a couple quotes, um, on Wikipedia, I guess, <laughs> from um Ann Todd herself, she said, uh looking back at the movie and its reception, it was the film that had everything. A bit of Pygmalion, a bit of Trilby, a bit of Cinderella. Apart from all that, it's an intriguing psychological drama. It was one of the first films to have a hero who was cruel. I don't know. How is he a hero? Most male stars up to then have been honest, kind, upstanding, good looking men that the female star was supposed to feel safe and secure with for the rest of her life. When they finally got together at the end of the film. Not so with our smash hit. The men saw me as a victim. And the women thrilled to Mason's power and cruelty. As women have thrilled to this since the world began. However much they deny it. That is a. (laughs) Yeah there's there's a lot to unpack there. A lot. And I am not the person to really do that. (laughs) I'm just going to let that stand. So yeah. Apparently the original ending. Did you see about the original ending? Yeah, that uh, that Mason didn't think that she should go to Peter, who right. was her like first love, right? Uh, and she was forced to leave him because uh, Mason's character wanted to uh, take her around the world as his ward, and yeah. she wasn't old enough to say no to that. Finally, when they got back together, he he had gotten married. But at this point, he's been divorced for two years or whatever. So he's available if she would so have been interested again. But yeah, I I guess that's a boring ending. But why do we need to? (laughs) Right. Um, And, you know, there's got to be some kind of symbolism in the fact that his last name is gay. Mm. So, like, you know, we're looking at it through the 40s lens. Right. And gay, gay meaning happy and uh joyous mm-hmm. like 
this is this is he is her happiness yeah essentially and and she just doesn't go to him right <laughs> so, this whole episode's gonna be about the end of this movie i, I mean to me the a lot of times that's how a film makes or breaks on it on its ending for me whether that's fair or not but when, when it's such a <coughs> a pointed ending when when it's when something's been building to something right and then they make a decision like that right and like you know this man's been so abusive to her and made made her talent for playing piano her entire personality and her entire life right and he's been so horrible that she opens the film by trying to commit suicide yes uh and, and he's given her a complex about her always protecting her hands and anything she thinks that's happened to her hands that's her livelihood her her worth is tied to her ability to play like you said yeah and you find out that they're just like burned but not broken yeah i think the peter said or the other guys he's like they'll be healed in a week but she can't believe that because she's so convinced that anything that's happened to them is going to ruin her yeah so this is the guy that she chooses mm-hmm. and don't I, I i still don't know how to, i guess i know how to feel about it because it's it's bad mm-hmm. it's a bad decision at that the last like 10 seconds of this movie just throws so much of this into question for me like what was the point of this right exactly like and, and we're not sitting here just like preaching nice guy stuff we're talking about the context of the film that is act like you said actively made nicholas look to be a jerk and that and uh, abusive like, beyond a jerk like, like the <laughs> fucking moment you meet him in this movie he's like little girl I have made this a bachelor pad. You know what that means? She's like, yeah, you mean you're not going to get married? He's like, no, I don't fucking want women in my house at all. Right. And that's how their relationship starts. And it never gets better. Right. And the only thing is uh, he sees an opportunity at, to use her skill um, because it talks about how, you know, Nicholas does not play well, but he's a brilliant and inspiring teacher. And I don't know if how uh, it's probably a quote as old as time, but you know, they throw out the, those who, can't te- or can't do teach line um so he that's his whole mentality he's trying to live his dreams through her yeah and he just uses her the whole time yeah and it's essentially like i don't know it i guess if i wish jonathan were here so that we could talk about um whiplash mm. because honestly that's kind of like where I would go with this where where whiplash has a similar ending mm-hmm. where this man who is an abusive teacher that uh, the our main character wants to please right as as Odd wants to do with James Mason in this film and at the end of the movie they end up together he is yeah. playing in his jazz ensemble. Right. But it's not a positive thing. Right. It's it's a very like, here are two broken individuals who need this in their life. And it doesn't matter the abuse that they lob onto each other. They have become symbiotic because 
they don't know anything else. Right. And it, it's like, what, what levels of self-destruction are these two willing to stoop to, to make art? Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's the tension and, and the, and the madness is fully captured in the last frames of that movie. And it's breathtaking. Right. And here it's just, it's treated almost more romantically, which makes it weird too. Yeah, all very weird. Like they're, <laughs> they're second cousins, and he's been raising her since she was fourteen. So the yeah. real groomer vibes on top of uh-huh. everything else, right? But that shit really bothered me because I, I don't know if it's intended, but James Mason's very queer coded in this film. Yeah, yeah. From having you know hating women and having all male uh, household, uh, and there's a lot of him going away and stuff. It almost seems like, yeah, it is very, like you said, very queer coded. And, and like the issues with his mother that aren't really like delved into, but he, he keeps like that portrait of her hanging above his fireplace. It's fucking weird. Yeah. And I know that's supposed to be weird, but Mm. like essentially like, you know, it's the 1940s and it's England. So homosexuality is, literally illegal at this point yeah you could be chemically castrated the way that uh alan turing was right um so that's horrible yeah um but he feels very queer coded i felt that too so i and so there's a lot of stuff going on maybe intentionally or unintentionally in this film that just doesn't really get explored and it just makes the ending more confusing (laughs) yeah it and, and and again, I, I didn't assume like they were going to be like, oh, he's, you know, right. that way or anything like that. You know, in any 1940s speak, I didn't assume that was going to happen. Right. But like just the way they set him up. Mm-hmm. OK, so he has no romantic interest in her. And then it just kind of like does this turn where it's almost treated like that at the end. Yeah. No, that doesn't work. Nope. Mm-mm. <coughs> But yeah, for, and and until that last like ten seconds of this movie, I am all in and I'm enjoying this film. But I could see where um, did you ever hear Susie Izzard's um, whole bit about British films versus American films? It's been a while, but I know what you're talking about. I I think about that a lot when I watch these older British films, especially like fucking uh, Merchant Ivory films. <laughs> um where she has the whole bit where like you, you can't eat popcorn to old British films. So they're like called the, like the, the staircase to nowhere or something. And people just be like, Oh, I didn't mean to. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, um, shall I? Yeah, I think you best. It's like you try to eat popcorn. Uh, so whenever I watch these films, I'm like, <laughs> And people say, I wasn't really vibing with it. I automatically think that that's that's where their (laughs) brains are. Mm. Yeah. I'm reading a little bit about the the whole veils thing, uh, which is very interesting in itself. You know, talking about, was it the first two veils or what we show to acquaintances and maybe like coworkers or colleagues or something? Third and fourth veils will reveal to good friends and family 
fifth, maybe the sixth to uh, lovers and spouses and very intimate partners. Um, but the seventh veil would never reveal. So uh, that I, I found interesting uh, stuff with the psychiatry part of it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'll say for myself, like the depth of my depravity isn't something I share with a ton of people. <laughs> like I'll, I'll allude to the depravity that I'm mm-hmm. akin to, but uh, I'm, I, I'm not going to straight out be like, so these are the weird shit that I enjoy. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a gorgeous, well-acted film, like you said, and I just, Oh, beautifully shot. Mm. Um, Reginald Wire, yeah, Reginald. What else did you do? The White Unicorn, huh? Uh, <laughs> Quartet, Island of Terror, <laughs> Rattle of a Superman. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm very interested in this. Oh, also directed by Muriel Box. Okay. Oh, okay. Uh, Charles Dyer. Huh. Is a screenplay about a naive man who becomes involved with a prostitute. <laughs> okay. okay. I'm, I'm for this. Cool. <laughs> uh, followed by the sequel, The Death Rattle of a Simple Man. <laughs> uh, yeah. I Unfortunately, the, so much of it is just hijacked by the ending for me when it comes to trying to talk about it. Yeah. It, it is really unfortunate that this ended so disastrously because I I was honestly ready to rank this like four and a half stars and, mm. and I was like man and then as soon as the psychiatrist comes down it's like ah she's you're gonna you're gonna have to be ready for a new woman to come down those stairs she yes. might choose one of you it might be the one she trusts and it might be the one she loves the most and it might be the one she can't live without. <clears throat> and everything everything in this film that comes before this does not set you up to yeah. believe that it's going to be him and so much so that he leaves the room because he's like oh well I've been a piece of shit to her so yeah. I guess I believe it yeah <laughs> and I think I may have said this earlier but if if they just put a downbeat note to change the whole tone of it and I would have been like oh that's a that's good because she's oh she's got Stockholm syndrome or something Right, Whatever. right. Give give some like real fucking Bernard Herman working on a Hitchcock film. <laughs> boom, 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 yep. boom. But that's not how they color it. <laughs> no, no, not even a little. It's a shame. It's yeah. a real shame. Uh, and I, I don't know. I, I feel like if you could cut this film off the second she starts playing piano again, and um, the one guy's like, "Is is it her?" And James Mason's like smiling in his chair. He's like, oh, yes, that's her. That's her for sure. You cut it off there. I love this film. Yeah. To death forever. Mm. And now I'm just kind of like, I really like this film. And I think it's a strong film with a really, really bad last 10 seconds. Well, I don't have anything else to say if, if you're ready for some worsty judgments. Sure. Let's get into our worsty judgments. Sir, uh, well, okay. So we almost did. We almost did this wrong again. 
Oh, uh, I'm going to say that this cannot make it into the National Film Registry. Oh, thank you. Yes. Because it's a British produced film. Even gave us the British Board of Censors certificate at the beginning. Yes. Which is something I always associate with the one of the funniest gags I have ever seen on a DVD. Oh, uh, Monty Python and the Holy Grail, a film I know that you have your issues with. Hmm. Uh, on their DVD, when you started the movie, started playing a completely different movie from the 1940s. <laughs> called like A Trip to the Dentist or some shit like that. Hmm. And it started with that British, that British uh, Board of Censors certificate. And it is a, anytime I see one of those, I think about it now. Lovely. Yes. Um, but uh, some films, since this was a 1945 film that came out in the U.S. in 1946. This is for 1946. So from 1946 films that did get in uh, include, of course, Best Picture winner, The Best Years of Our Lives. Mm. Uh, the Big Sleep with Humphrey Bogart, the Raymond Chandler film. Uh, it's a Wonderful Life. Oh, yeah. The Killers. Uh, speaking of Alfred Hitchcock and Notorious mm -hmm. and uh, John Ford's My Darling Clementine all got in this year. Oh, what a beautiful, um, beautiful list there. Yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a good, good class for this year. Uh, but Gilda got it too. Oh, mm. which of course, uh, Rita Hayworth, stunning woman. Mm -hmm. As if I need to tell anybody that. <laughs> Who? <laughs> Who, me? Yes. Thank you. Absolutely. But, worst your judgments, uh, dictate I ask you, did this deserve best original screenplay? So, we're finally to a week where I have seen three of the five nominees, so I can comment on those. Uh, I had a little time this week, and I was able to watch The Blue Dahlia for the first time. Oh, and I really enjoyed that film. I thought I had it figured out, and then it kind of went a different direction. Remy Chandler, he's a good writer. He is, very good. I liked it a lot. Um, then Notorious is one of my favorite Hitchcock films. So uh, I have The Seventh Veil behind those two. I... Okay. I think it is a well-written film for, you know, again, most of the film, but I like those other two films better. And I personally would have, uh, gone with notorious. Excellent. How do you feel? Um, did this right. deserve best original screenplay? All right. So as it stands, I would have said yes, if it weren't for the ending. Hmm. And that sounds like the screenplay that was written didn't have this ending. Right. And it was changed because of the star of the film. Mm. So I, I guess we have to go with what's on film because that's what was given the Academy Award. Yeah. And because of the ending of this film, it's hard for me to say yes, but I really enjoyed this film up until that moment. So I'm, I'm having a hard time saying no. Mm -hmm. So I am going to firmly ride the fence. 
I've saddled up and I'm just going to sit there for as long as I can. Okay. Uh, but I will say, uh, I didn't, I didn't watch any of these movies this week. I've, I've just been in a weird headspace lately. That's not been conducive for me doing things that I'm supposed to, or need to be doing. Um, but I'm trying to get, I'm trying to get right. Yeah. I understand. Uh, instead, uh, I became the, Champion of the Paldea region in Pokemon Scarlet and Violet. So excellent. Congratulations, me. Congratulations indeed. <laughs> trying to complete trying to complete my Pokedex now. I've spent a lot of time playing Pokemon Scarlet this week. Uh Good. Good. but I have seen Notorious and I agree. I I even even if the ending was a better ending on this. I still think I give this to Notorious because that's such a fucking good film. Mm. And Ben Heck's script is just twisty and fun and yeah, just great popcorn entertainment. Cary Grant and of course Ingrid Bergman. Yep. Get your boy oh. Claude Rains in there. Oh, and I love Claude so much. <laughs> oh, I want Claude Rains to be in everything. <laughs> I had, um, when I first started my current job, we had like a icebreaker activity at the HR training, which lovely, of course, but they're like, use one word to describe a good film. And, like, and I wrote notorious because like, that's a one word film. So I'll use that. There you go. And Claude was nominated for this, for notorious. Mm. And he lost to Harold Russell for best years of our lives. Oh, which is so hard to be mad at. <laughs> right. But they also give him an honorary award, so they could have given this to Claude Ray. That's true. Wait, Charles I, rem- I remember that. Charles Coburn's always over the category. All right, I need to get off it. I need to get off it. So, long story short, I like this film. I don't love this film. I think it maybe could have deserved this award, but Notorious is great. Raymond Chandler's in the category, and that's that automatically tells me that that's a great movie that I need to go watch ASAP. Yes. It, it's a popper and a snapper and a, just a grand old time. Yeah. I love Raymond Chandler so much. Me too. All right. So that brings us to our second question. Is this the worst best screenplay, best original screenplay winner? No, it, it is. It is not Wilson. And Though also hampered by a bad ending, I don't think it goes quite to the depths of Woman of the Year because of the nature of of the cultural statement that film's making. This is more of an individual statement. I mean, you could argue, maybe not. Uh, But um, I've got it. I gave it three stars in the end. uh, So that puts it at one, two, three, fourth, uh, fourth place. Also fourth from the bottom. So exactly in the middle. Oh, there you go. Um, I think I've got everything ranked so far. Yeah. You know, I'm not far off from you because, you know, we're, we're still kind of early in this. So mm-hmm. you know, a lot of our stuff's going to look similar. Yeah. Wilson is, I, I don't want to go on week after week, just talking about how bad Wilson is and what a piece of shit that movie is. But what a piece of shit. 
Uh, so I'm, I'm going to try to stop that after this week. But yeah, it is so implanted in the bottom of this list for me that uh, Seventh Veil could never even come close. I went three and a half on this and I put it over Woman of the Year, which mm-hmm. again is another movie that's really good and fun up until like the last 10 minutes. Yeah. And it's another film where it's like, what are we trying to say? Yeah. What are we, what are we saying about women? Because it's not good. Right. Both of these, both of these movies suffer from that where it's like, here's a strong woman, an interesting lead female who at the very end of the movie is just like, Oh, we have to rein her in a bit or something. Yeah, yeah. As a character, she's like, oh, well, I, I guess I should please the man that I've been with for so long. Yeah. No. <laughs> Don't. Right. Um, so, yeah, they, they suffer from the same amount, the, that, that same just not sticking the landing. And, you know, so I, I put this under Princess O'Rourke, which I just like. And there's a dog in it. Yeah. So they wrote a dog into the script and it was the president's actual dog in the movie. Yeah. And I love that. Fair point. So that's me. There we are. So this is my number five. Okay. My number four, your number five. Like you said, very close. And as we go on, we'll see where things go. Indeed, we will. So I guess we're calling it. I guess we are. So, uh, how about you let the peoples let know where you are on the internet? All right. Well, you can find me on Critiker, Zackmaster, X-A-K-K-M-A-S-T-E-R, TikTok at House Havoc, Letterboxd by searching my name. Um, I know we haven't really been talking about new films, and I won't do that. It's not really new, but it was new to me. And thanks to Mr. One Paul Workman, I was able to enjoy a lovely evening with my wife and watch Asteroid City. Woot, woot. Which we very much enjoyed. It's just Wes Anderson. He's just a comfortable place for so many of us. And like these, I think I wrote in my review that he's just uh, a comfortable getaway. And it, it's silly. And it, it's, you know, if, if you don't like Wes Anderson, yeah, you're not going to like this. Cause it's everything that people complain about. It's the, kind of the deadpan fast talking characters so there's some nonsensical stuff that happens there's not necessarily a strict plot but i feel like this movie in particular is him making a movie about his movie making uh, or at least you know his writing approach to writing and stuff so right i i i, I vote that we declare wes anderson the official filmmaker of the Oscar worsty podcast <laughs> seconded the eyes seconded. have it. The eyes have it. Jonathan, do you have anything to say? He abstains. <laughs> um, so there we go. Wes Anderson, official right. filmmaker of the Oscar worsty podcast. Well, there you go. Let's note it. We'll celebrate this annually. There we go. Uh, what, what, when is this coming out? Sometime in August, right around Jonathan's birthday. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> It'll be after Jonathan's birthday because That's last right. week was his birthday episode. That's right. Uh, we're this would be the twenty eighth, so this comes out on like the ninth, around there. So, so August 9th. August 9th is officially 
Wes Anderson on the Oscar podcast. Official filmmaker of the podcast. Yep. Okay. Writing this down so it's very official. But yes, I had a wonderful time. I'd probably say it's maybe, even as much as I loved it, it's still probably like in the middle of my rankings for his films. But yeah. Yeah, but when <laughs> when I've ranked like seven or eight of his films with five stars, like right. being in the being that he's made like ten or eleven movies, right? Being in the middle of that list is it's good pretty list. Yeah, it's a good list. Good list to be in. Yep. How about how about you? Where can people find you? Uh, you can follow me at Shark Dressman on TikTok, where Joseph Tapia and I are reviewing all sorts of shark related content that sweet sweet content mm-hmm. um and uh you can find out exactly how much it costs to go see the shark exhibit at the natural history museum in new york city that's right only, only on our channel that's right um, and um you can follow me at father of the fear on x <laughs> My app just updated on my phone. It did it. It did it to me like two days ago. And X. We were we were at, we were at D and D the other last night, and Joseph Tapia, fellow shark dress man, mm-hmm. um, is like, "Mine's still Twitter." And then we, we went walking this morning. He's like, "It's X now." <laughs> I'm like, "I'm sorry, we did that to you." <laughs> Uh, but uh, I'm also at Father of the Fear on Letterboxd, where uh, you keep a running tally of all the films I watched. And as I said, uh, I am the champion of the Paldea region in Pokemon Scarlet now. Behold my glory. Um, I also have caught myself a second Coridon. I'm excited about it. I love a good box legendary. Oh, yeah. Okay. Let's do this. <laughs> Damn ads. I was trying to use an air horn to celebrate. <laughs> Terrific. Great audio gag. Wonderful. <laughs> Flawless. <laughs> Complete professionals here. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, Zach. Oh, what yeah. Are wa- what are we watching next week? Next week we're watching The Bachelor and the Bobby Soxer. I'm so fucking excited for this movie. <laughs> Me too. Uh, I don't see that it's streaming uh, freely anywhere, but you can rent on Amazon, Google, Vudu, and YouTube presently. All right. Yeah. So that would like to thank Trab from our sister podcast for uh, loving up Benjamin Banks for producing the show. Like thank Chad Ramsey for a most excellent theme song. We like thank Megan and Jay Bellevue for a beautiful artwork. You can follow the show on Twitter and Instagram or X and Instagram at Oscar Risky pod, a Facebook at the Oscar Risky podcast. You can subscribe to the podcast, leave us a nice five star review on Apple podcasts or Spotify. It really helps us be seen in the almighty algorithm. Almighty algorithm, playing some lovely music. Protect your hands and give us five stars. It'll make your hands glow. Beautiful. So, for Zach and normally our good friend Jonathan, who thankfully abstained on that boat for making Wes Anderson yes. the official filmmaker of the Oscars podcast, we'd like for you all 
Dan Plante.